0: You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting cityschurch.com.
1: Well, the passage before us teaches that the elders are to be examples of the flock. In other words, we're to practice what we preach. And that's true all the time. We're always to practice what we preach from labor with God's help to model what we said. But this morning is kind of special in that my aim is to actually practice what I'm preaching while I'm preaching it. Peter exhorts the elders to shepherd the flock of God, and so I'm going to attempt to shepherd the flock of God by explaining the meaning of shepherd the flock of God, so that's kind of an interesting I thought, realized, that kind of mad up there for a second. It was like whoa, and it kind of went down the rabbit hole. But it was exciting, and I'm eager to do it with God's So, in this passage, as you see, there are three
0: main exhortations addressed to three groups: so get them.
1: elders, shepherd God's flock; young people, as they say in the South, youngins, be subject. To the elders. And everyone be humble. Shepherd God's flock, be subject to the elders, be humble. And in giving these exhortations, Peter is building
0: on the previous passage. We know this because the word so or therefore leads off verse one.
1: Last week, Pastor Jonathan explored Peter's vision of Christian suffering. Christian suffering. Not just suffering in general, but Christian suffering suffering for the christian is a refining fire it separates the gold from the dross and this separation or even judgment begins with the household of god and so it's no surprise that having declared judgment begins with the household of god there in 4 verse 18 peter turns to address the various parts of the household of god even more than that, there's a clear link between 1 Peter 4 and 1 Peter 5. Notice how Peter refers to himself in this passage, right? He draws attention to three aspects of his life and ministry almost as a way of giving his exhortation weight, okay? So when he says, as a fellow elder witness the sufferings, partake of the glory, it's as this that I give this exhortation. He's trying to give his exhortation weight, okay? So there's a scene in uh, movie Cool Runnings Maybe my boy's favorite movie, in which Sanka demands that he get to be the driver of the bobsled sled because he is the greatest pushcart driver in all of Jamaica. And Irv, John Candy, the coach, and he says to, to the coach, he says, you dig where I'm coming from? And Coach Irv responds, yeah, I dig where you're coming from. Now let me tell you where I'm coming from. I'm coming from two golden cool medals." I'm coming from nine world records in both two- and four-man events. Explore that exhortation. That's the main part of today's message. Explore that exhortation in terms of three things the what, the how, and the why. Very simple. What, the how, and the why. So, what then is this exhortation? What is the task that elders are called to? Simple. Shepherd.
0: of elders and it's the same as the
1: council of pastors and there are no pastors who aren't elders and there are no elders who aren't pastors. It's the same group. We've got to dig deep, deeper. What does it mean to shepherd? Well, when you think about shepherds, meaning the guys who live out in the fields and keep watch over the flocks by night, shepherds care for sheep. Shepherds lead the flock and they feed the flock. In other words, they, they shepherds examine the diet. If they come down with a disease, shepherds bring medicine to heal. If a sheep falls in a crack in the earth, a shepherd pulls him out and sets him back on the path, and then that sheep probably jumps back in the crack, right? I you know, see that video recently? There was a, a video online, you can find this, about a sheep. A shepherds pulling him out of the that stuck in a crack, pulls him out, sheep takes off, takes a big jump to get over the crack, is it
0: And that's what shepherds do If a lion attacks a
1: shepherd Grabs his rod and his staff And he uses it to defend the sheep Even at great risk To himself
0: Perhaps we can actually understand
1: this passage This task better By noting Peter's clarifying phrase You see it there Elmer shepherd the flock of God that is among you Exercising oversight Exercising oversight Difference? Ask yourself this question: What's the difference between sight and
0: oversight? Sight and oversight.
1: Well, oversight includes sight. Sight is one piece of oversight. You can't exercise oversight if you can't see clearly and understand accurately. But oversight is more than merely sight. Oversight is sight plus responsibility. Oversight is sight plus responsibility. To exercise oversight means that when you see, you are responsible to do something about it. You can't just see. You must also see to it. You must see to it. Get something done once you have seen. And notice that Peter here is very specific, right? It's not just shepherd the flock in general. It shepherd the flock that is among you. Pastors are called to shepherd their people. Not other people's people. Not other shepherd sheep. These sheep. And you say in the age of social media, it's easy to miss the centrality of that specificity. It's easy for pastors to be concerned about dangers to the health of flocks over yonder, on the other side of town, on the other side of the country. In fact, you can actually build a flock around pointing out the dangers to other flocks while ignoring the dangers to your flock. wise and faithful shepherds, shepherds who heed Peter's call, are attentive to the needs, the cares, the issues, the problems, the dangers, the temptations, and tendencies of the flock of God that is among them. So if oversight is sight plus responsibility to act, that means there are, broadly speaking, two main ways pastors can fail in this task. Let's talk about failure for a second. How could you fail to do this? What would that look like? Well, first, you could fail to see. The pastors could fail to see clearly. They didn't recognize when the disease was spreading in their flock. They didn't see that pack of wolves They do see the polluted water, but they don't move the flock to better pastures. Failure to act is also see clearly what we need to see about this flock, this church, that we would know the needs, the dangers, the tendencies, the temptations of the people in this room, in this metro, at this time in history. We don't want to be the kinds of shepherds who run around with fire extinguishers whenever there's a Like if there's a fire in the church, across the country, and a flood in this church, we don't want to pull out a fire extinguisher. We want to get sandbags and life rafts. So we need help to do that. And then pray, second prayer, pray that having seen clearly what we need to see about the flock among us, we would have the courage and the compassion Act with wisdom to do what is best for the people. Even at cost to ourselves. Once we've seen what needs to be seen, what needs to be said, what needs to be done, who needs to say it, who needs to do it, pray that we would have the heart and the nerve to say it and do it. Let me just insert a little parenthesis here about the importance of plurality. We talk a lot in this church about shared leadership. Plurality of elders. So Peter here addresses elders plural. Elders plural. So when you have a plurality of elders, like we, nine of us, you can see more and you can act better. See more and act better. No single shepherd has 360 degree vision no single shepherd can pay attention to all the macro dangers and micro threats that might flick the flock but a team can like some shepherds can scan the horizon to the west and some shepherds can scan the horizon to the east and some shepherds can look at the distant threats that big storm that's going to roll in They guide the flock and they guard the flock. They teach God's word and elders rule or govern God's house. They provide for the spiritual needs of God's people and they protect God's people from threats, both foreign and domestic. Elders put God's house in order and elders are the immune system for the body of Christ, regulating the body's health and guarding When we were preaching on First Timothy, I said this: Here's three elements. Just summarizing: Pastors are called to oversee and care for the flock of God by one, teaching the word of God with divine authority; two, zealously guarding the doctrine and worship of the church; and
0: three, organizing and mobilizing the church for mission. That's our task.
1: That's what it means to shepherd the flock of God. And so the next question: That's the what? What's the how? How do we do this? Peter doesn't just want us to do it. He wants us to do it in a certain way. How should it be done? He gives three pairs of contrasts in order to describe the quality of faithful shepherding. Let me comment on each of them briefly. First, not under compulsion, but willingly. No one should pastor with a gun to his head. In vocation, we've a vocation of calling. it's so calling it the pastor. A vocation has a double character. A double character. It's, a double. it's both a duty and a desire. Because duty is sometimes necessary. Like the pastor. Then why stick with it when it gets really hard? Because they pay you. Peter knows that someone without the desire to shepherd can be driven to do so by duty or enticed to do so by money. And neither motivation as a fundamental drive is pleasing to God. The call is to pastor, to shepherd eagerly, literally it's with heart, With heart, shepherd God's flock from the heart, not because of greed, but because you love your work. Third, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Pastors have authority in the church. They have authority in the church. And one way authority goes wrong is by becoming domineering. I'm guessing that Peter probably has the words of Jesus in mind here. This word only shows up a handful of times in the Bible. The main one, outside of this one, is when Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 20. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. That's the word. What's domineering mean? Lording it over someone, preening like a peacock, acting all big, acting as though people are there to serve you. Here's what Jesus says. Rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them their domineering, and their great ones exercised authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So there Jesus contrasts domineering authority with humble service. Peter contrasts domineering authority with being an example to the flock, and you can see why that would work, right? Jesus points to himself as the model of humble service. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And then he left us an example that we might follow in his steps, 1 Peter 2.21, so, Jesus, as the chief shepherd, 5 verse 4, is the model of humble service for elders, and elders are models of humble service for the flock. That's how it works. That's how it should be done. That's how it's all supposed to be done. Willingly, not with a gun to your head. eagerly, not out of greed. And humbly, as a Christ-like model for people, not lording it over. When the sheep, chief shepherd returns, he'll reward you, pastor. Money wears out. You're doing it for money. There's a shelf life. Earthly honors fade. The crown of glory that Jesus brings never fades. We shepherd willingly from the heart because Jesus has our heart. We don't shepherd for shameful gain, because Christ is our gain. And I'm gonna say more about that in a moment. Come back to it. For now, I wanna shift then from, that's the call to the pastors, to the call to the people. He turns to the congregation, especially those who are younger, since most elders would've been older than their flocks. Not all, but most probably would've been. Because the people also have a responsibility here. Okay, what's the call to the people? Answer, submit to the elders. Elders lead, feed, teach, govern,
0: guide, and rule the church. Congregation submits, follows, obeys, and are subject to them. In the same way,
1: this all okay, this, this word, be subject to, shows up a ton in First Peter. We've seen it probably half a dozen times already in the same way that all Christians are called to be subject to, same word, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, that's chapter two, verse 13, just as wives are to submit to their husbands, same word, are ordered and structured. There's clear and overlapping authorities in life. There are civil authorities like governors and city councils and mayors. There's family authorities, husbands and fathers. There's economic authorities, masters and bosses, church authorities, pastors and elders. And Peter's call consistently throughout the letter. In the appropriate way. These are not identical. These are not identical. Pastors don't have authority in the civil sphere, right? Uh, your boss doesn't have authority in this church. There's different spheres of authority, different authorized heads of different arenas, and you should submit to them character of the different spheres so that we can submit in the appropriate and proper way. At the same time, let me just be clear: elders don't have absolute authority even in the church. They're not the chief shepherd. We are not the chief shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd. But according to Peter, they do have a real authority in the church, and those under their charge owe them respect honor, deference, and appropriate obedience for the Lord's sake. Final expression. I want to bring these things together by giving you just a little window into my sermon preparation for this week. So this is like how the sausage is made. It's like the How 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 does how, how, it get made? Here's how. Here's one of the ways. Just give you a little window, okay? So I'm preparing to preach this Friday, and I think, what do I need to see about this flock? What are the needs, concerns, temptations, and tendencies of this people that I need to bring this word to bear on? It's one of the main questions that we ask. I need to do this willingly, not under compulsion, eagerly, not out of greed, humbly, not lording it over you. I need to humble myself under God's hand and God's word, and then clothe myself with humility towards you. That's my call. that's why I'm trying to get in that frame of mind to do this work. And one of the things that I've learned over the years in preparing to preach is to pay attention to my reluctances. Whenever I'm preparing a sermon, there will be times where I will be trying to, I, I may be typing it out, where I will have a
0: subtle check
1: about saying what I'm seeing out loud or applying what I'm seeing in a particular way. Just a little hesitation, just an intuition, an impulse to maybe steer in a slightly different direction, add a qualification. Just a little check. I just now I just learned one of the most important things I can do as a pastor is pay attention to that. When did it show up? When I was preparing for the success? Well, here's what it was. Whenever I started to describe the task of the elders in terms of rule or authority or governance, whenever I, just start, I started to describe the responsibility of the congregation to submit and obey the elders, in fact, there's more particular. It was like whenever I started to write the word rule or govern in my manuscript, I felt an impulse to change it to the word lead. Say the word lead. That's, that's what this unspoken impulse says. Don't use use this word. Even though the word church because I had an intuition that some people might not like it. that it. So then I had to go, well, why why not this is in other words, the sort of thing that you start preaching, you know, elders rule, people submit, and people go, hey, you've left off preaching and you've got to meddling, Pastor. Why, why did I think that? Why might not like why might you not like that word? And there are lots of answers to that question. There's a couple Number one, we're modern Americans in an egalitarian culture that's allergic to notions of traditional rule and authority. We bristle at talk of obedience to other human beings. That's one reason. Here's a second reason. Because we are very sensitive to the danger of abusive and domineering authority, both in the church and outside of it. And so then I had to prove that idea for a bit. Why are we so sensitive? Well, because maybe we've personally experienced that kind of abusive and domineering leadership. Like, personally, there may be people here who are sensitive because you lived it. And I know that. Intuitively. So much so that I want to steer you. Or, second, because we live in a mass media environment in which such leadership abuses and failures are widely publicized so that we are all aware that that Then I started to think of okay, that's some of the sources of that reluctance. And I realized there's a danger for me in heating it and steering that way. Of course, we're aware of the leadership abuses around the country. Like, why? Scandal sells. There are no headlines for fidelity. Okay, but like prominent pastor abuses his authority. That gets clicks. Local pastor preaches 28 faithful sermon of <laughs> Evangelical leader has inappropriate relationship with his assistant. Clicks. Pastor's family enjoys third Friday family fun night of the month. No clicks. In other words, our sensitivity to abusive leadership is driven in part by the reality of abusive leadership, and in part by the relative publicity of abusive. Environment, driven by scandals and clicks. And my intuitive awareness, or at least suspicion, of that sensitivity in you meant that I felt an impulse to shy away from the language of rule and obey. Well, then why did I want to use the word lead instead? Why was rules bad, leads good? That's what I felt intuitive. And I didn't spend as much time on that question. I felt like I had a good enough grasp to go forward. But my first answer is that in a democratic society we choose our leaders, and so if I say leader, mean necessarily this church, It means if you go up with your feet. So if I say leader, you don't, you're you not as threatened by that word because you think if I don't like these leaders, I can go find other ones that I do like. And so leader's not as threatening of a word. So now I felt like I had some understanding of that reluctance. I thought I saw it clearly and therefore perhaps see the needs, concerns, and temptations of this flock better. say in response how did did i then what did i do once i realized that here's what i did first i felt i need to say the words rule and govern need to be in the sermon because they're bible words and elders are called to shepherd the flock of god not call the sensitivities of the flock of God. at the same time because some of that sensitivity is driven by the real danger so I felt it's important to use multiple terms to describe the task. Lead, feed, govern, guide, rule. Lest the connotations of that one term mislead. I felt it important to clarify the boundaries of that rule in its appropriate sphere. There is a chief shepherd, and I'm not him. That needed to be there. And I needed to stress the plurality of that rule. There's a team so that the checks and balances are clear. And finally, I felt it was important to leadership so that you know that we pastors know it's a danger and that you can hold us accountable. Hey pastor, practice what you preach. And here's the amazing thing about it. In order to do all of that, all I had to do was pray. Our chief shepherd. He is the overseer of our souls. He rules the church, and he governs the church, and he guards the church. He leads us, and he feeds us, and he feeds us with the word, and he feeds us with bread and wine. And I say wine because I pray that someday God will let me get back to it. Crackers are fine as a substitute, a little juice box thing. But I'm ready to get back to the world. And when we eat the bread and drink the wine. His death until he comes, and when he comes, glory is coming. Honor is coming. Crowns of unfading glory are coming with him. That's what's animated so much of 1 Peter. Set your hope fully on the grace that is coming. Rejoice as you share in his suffering so you can rejoice when his glory is revealed. The chief shepherd will give the unfading crown of glory to faithful elders who shepherd well. Pastoral ministry endurance and trials, Christian life as a whole, all of these animated by our living life, rooted in the death and
0: resurrection of Jesus,
1: which we proclaim here in the house to come. Welcome welcome Jesus. We invite the pastors to come as they do. This meal is fundamentally for this flock, but if you're a guest and you've trusted in Jesus, you've been baptized into his family, we want to invite you to participate with us.
0: His body is the true bread. His blood is the true drink. Let us serve. Him.